Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I am the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the managing director of B Squared. You know, the people who do the assessment. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of this podcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, my guest is Kim Griffin. Kim is an occupational therapist and founder of Griffin OT. Kim has been working in SEND for the last 20 years with a focus on autism, sensory processing and dyspraxia. In this episode, we're discussing dyspraxia. Is it more than just being clumsy? We'll find out. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are the assessment people. We help you show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. And if you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. If you are a school in Wales struggling with progress and assessment around the curriculum for Wales, get in contact. Did you know you can use B-squared assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money and also simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing dyspraxia. Is it more than just clumsiness? My guest this week is Kim Griffin. Kim is an occupational therapist and founder of Griffin OT. Kim has been working in SEND for the last 20 years with a focus on autism, sensory processing and dyspraxia. She also provides additional training and support for sensory processing and motor skills like handwriting on her website, griffinot.com. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. So I asked at the beginning, is dyspraxia more than clumsiness? And we know it is. But what is dyspraxia? So I think dyspraxia is often thrown out there when someone might trip up or just drop something and they'll use it in the same way. I think dyslexia is also quite misunderstood (laughs) and quite incorrectly used. Dyspraxia, for me as an occupational therapist, it looks at not just the way you're moving, but the way you're able to plan what you're doing and also even the ability to come up with an idea of what you want to do. Different authors will write it differently. Research would show that it's often called a developmental disorder or neurodevelopmental difference. And there's some arguments around using developmental because adults with dyspraxia would argue that it's not developmental, it's very much lifelong. So it's it's tricky with terminology sometimes. So we think of it as as being clumsy, which is generally we're talking like hand-eye coordinator. And that's what I'm going for and I completely missed it. Mm -hmm. But it is more than that. It is a lot more. Yeah, so, and I will right at the start put in the fact that dyspraxia is not actually a formal diagnosis within medical literature. So the term, if you're looking for formal diagnosis or with any actual research, would be developmental coordination disorder. And those two terms are usually used interchangeably. And the research is very much showing that you've got, yes, there's that clumsiness, but actually there's a lot of executive function difficulties as well. So executive function is things like being on time, organizing your belongings to get to the place that you need to get to, 
as OTs, we look at what we would call ideation praxis, which is the ability to come up with an idea. So if you've got a box of Lego and no instructions, coming up with what you're actually going to do with that box of Lego. And there's, I like, I always use Lego as my example because it's not just about putting the bricks together. Sometimes you've got instructions, but you've got to be able to follow those instructions. So that's planning. So yeah. some kids might have trouble with the planning bit and can't follow the instructions and also have trouble with the physical putting it together. But other kids, if you don't have instructions, they might also have difficulty coming up with the idea of what to do. So they're fine if they've got the instruction box and they can follow that through because there's not a lot of planning required there. But if you just gave them the bricks, they've got to come up with an idea, oh, I want to build a car or a house. And then some can do that bit, but then they can't figure out how to organize the bricks to make it then look like a house so or a car. Yeah. So, yeah, if you, if you gave me a pile of bricks, it's like, what do I want to build? Why do I want to build it? There's a load of things like, I'm going to build a car. Cool. What type of car? There's a lot going on there. And I, I often think that when you have instructions, you've got a set of rules to follow, which is one thing, but it is also you don't need that imagination. Yes. And even though I said, build me a car. Yeah. What, what type of car? How big? How small? How? What's yeah. the reason? There's a load of that. And generally, I think with Lego, you do formulate that in your mind before you start. You have a size you're going to aim for and you go from there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes where that breaks down, so some kids, some dyspraxic kids and adults would have this awesome idea, but they haven't looked at the planning of that and they might have half as many bricks to what they need to create their idea. And then things can go wrong there as well because if they've got the idea that they want to have a red car, but they've only got two red bricks and like 50 blue bricks, that then can cause a problem. So it's also having that that next stage is the planning of how am I then going to do that and taking all that information in. Obviously, we they say dyspraxia comes you know, through that hand-eye, but that executive function part, mm -hmm. we obviously will notice the hand-eye coordination, but that executive probably has more impact. Huge, like absolutely huge, especially especially once you start getting into secondary school and things like that. So it's a little bit tricky in, in primary school with the time, like time management and organization. But in primary school, you're still, you're still pretty scaffolded in terms of, you know, you only have to find one classroom. Your stuff is usually in the one place. And once, you know, it might be trickier at the start of the school year when you change classrooms, getting into that routine. But in primary school, you've got a reasonable routine, but like once you get into secondary school, there's so much more planning and organization, just even, you know, to, to take your homework down in class and then figure out where you've got to do that and to make sure you've bought the right books to school and to figure out just even, even stuff like, well, it's lunchtime, but my next class is on the far, furthest side of school. So I need to actually leave a couple of minutes early because otherwise I won't, I won't get there. Those kind of things is it's all executive function and planning. And I know there's a, there's a, you read in the on social media stuff about the secondary schools who will give detentions if children aren't arriving at lessons ready to learn with all the right equipment. That's lovely for dyspraxics, isn't it? It is definitely a challenge if you've got that difficulty with getting organised and getting planned. I think computers are a bit of a godsend sometimes for those guys. Like in some some high schools, I know when I went to school, 
<laughs> you know, <Yep>. it, <laughs> it's over 20 years ago now and it was a very different case. But I do think there are some changes with technology that do make that a little bit easier. And I think in the future, schooling and certainly university even easier. Like I know I do a small bit of support at one of the unis and yeah, the, the, the kids are all sitting there with laptops. Like they're not sitting there with papers and pens and dictaphones anymore. They're all there with their laptops. I, I do, I'm, I'm, everyone knows I love tech. I'm definitely for tech. And I keep reading things about phones being banned in classrooms and being put away and things like that. And it's like, it makes no sense because out of the future world, it's going to live off. And my daughters do struggle with being organized. And it was uh, today they're getting their haircuts. And they're going half 11 in the morning. They're like, wait, I'll have a shower at half 11. But it's, it's when we're recording at school holidays. So I just set an alarm. Like, I'll be up. I'm like, just set an alarm for 11 a.m. So you know. And it is, you can just say, it's not you've got one alarm. You can have so many alarms just to give you reminders and stick things in your calendar. Yeah. It helps you. As long as you take that, pro, uh, the, the, um, the, in that initial step to be organized. Proactive. Proactive. That's the That's you're the <laughs> Pro, no, proactive and yeah. recording it in that moment, you can kind of let that thought disappear out of your mind. There's definitely a piece, I think, where technology can be very helpful, especially like alarms and that on watches, like for those kids and adults who just, that you know, they might get so engrossed in reading their book or doing something and they totally lose, lose track of time. So you get that buzzer or, or even the ability, like I know I, was, I worked with one boy who was, 15 at the time and just working out okay you need to be at school at this time it takes you I said to him how long does it take you to get to school I don't know he'd walk to school every day for three years but still couldn't tell me how long that took so that meant that he he couldn't then go oh it's a half an hour to school so therefore I have to be ready to leave the house a half an hour before that but and also I know that it takes him a bit of time to get organized because he's a bit slow to pack his bag and that. So I was sort of saying it probably would take you 10 minutes before you're ready to leave the house. So actually your alarm needs to be 40 minutes before rather than at 11.30 when you're going to the hairdresser. It's like. I, I didn't know, slight segue here, The I, a sense of time is a sense. It's not just a saying. It's an actual sense in your body that you can sense how much time has passed. And I've learned over the last year, my daughter does not have this. She'll go, well, when are we going? Two hours. She'll come back 10 minutes later. Can we, are we going yet? It's like, it's two hours. I'll go, you can watch a film. And oh, she now understands how long it long is. Long two hours but is. Two hours. So yeah, so the whole idea of, I have no idea how long it may, takes me. I actually start going, that's, I understand that that can happen now. Mm. Whereas before I probably go like, how do you not know? Surely everyone. I think you assume because you can. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, and I think time time management's one example. But we need to. It, it's even organising. So, you know, secondary school, you've got to plan all of your homework in so that it's due in on the due date, and you need to have that understanding that it might take you. You know, you might have six things due on the same day, so it's important to do that planning back in terms of fitting it all in and kind of why you might have to do some of it on the weekend. And then if you do sports or instruments or things like that, or if it's grandma's birthday and you're going to lose Tuesday, it's, it's all that kind of, and that's executive function in terms of planning and organizing. 
I remember my daughters being at secondary school and trying to explain to them, yes, I know you've just been set the homework, but we have to do it now because of this, 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 mm. and this. And it's all stuff which isn't in the world because it's always seeing family or mm. going here, which they're not interested in, but it impacts them. And they kind of pick it up after a while. But if you don't have that executive function, you're not going to. It kind of, you need it spoon fed for you for much, much longer. Yeah. And I think, I also think there's a piece in terms of, you know, some kids just pick that up and they just get on with it and they understand it. But if you're noticing that your child's not necessarily picking that up, it, it's important to give them the opportunities, particularly when you're not in a rush. So definitely don't do this if you're short of time, like in the morning. <laughs> like, you know, I say with, you know, parents when they're teaching their kids to dress, don't do that when in you the morning. It. Yeah, don't do that on a school morning. Do that like pajamas in the evening. So don't not not when you're short of time, but it is that piece around getting giving children a the opportunity to do it because I think it it's so much you know we're all under such time pressure it's so much quicker to just do it and just yeah. get on with it or you know and you don't want your children to fail either so we just kind of get on with it and just do it but actually when there is time and opportunity taking that step back and just sort of going well what have you forgotten I can see you don't have everything rather than get your coat or yeah just giving that talking through sometimes what you're doing rather than just automatically doing it so they're starting to understand that reasoning as well so you know that example you gave with you know there's six other family events this month that we need to continue like think about it's talking through with the girls rather than just expecting them or to, to know yeah <laughs> like because that's the thing those events were all arranged without asking your daughters you have much homework that week they were just arranged because life happens and things happen and and you you expect your daughters to be there you don't really ask them what's going on in their lives and I, on a complete segue that's a whole big thing about teenagers is teenagers having their own lives yes. and parents adjusting yes and having that conflict <laughs> i think this hits that zone that you are you expect when they're younger you just were doing this 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 and that's life with the parent the kids can now go no, I'm off out that weekend. Yeah. Or doing this. It's like, no, you're not. You're doing this. Yeah. I think that's out. a bigger adjustment for parents sometimes. Big adjustment. Than the teenagers. But yeah, I've got a list of dyspraxia symptoms. Yes. And when I look at it, I would have gone, abnormal posture. That wasn't in my list. Balance and movement issues. Yes. Poor hand-eye coordination. Yes. Fatigue. Wasn't in my list. Mm. Trouble learning new skills. Not in my list. Mm. Organization and planning problems, not in my list. Mm. Difficulty writing or using a keyboard, probably goes back to the hand-eye coordination. Um, having a hard time with grooming and household chores. Now, this is for adults, so uh, mm. grooming's in there. But And household chores obviously isn't in there for teenagers. But most of those do not come to my head when I think of dyspraxia. Yeah. And I think I think that is because it's such... So as an OT, as an occupational therapist, I look at activity across everything. So if you've got difficulty with movement and difficulty with planning an organization, then grooming, so doing your hair, washing your hair, even, you know, making lunch, packing your bag, all of those self-care skills, they're definitely going to be affected. Big thing typically with dyspraxia, though, is once you've practiced, you you actually you you can do that skill quite well. And I know like I know some dyspraxic children who are fantastic at sports because they have practiced and practiced and practiced 
and they're fantastic at their sport. But if you, I, I remember one girl distinctly, the minute she got, she had to do something she'd never seen before, she just totally would fall down and break apart because she, she'd not had the experience and she couldn't A, forward plan or think what that might look like and B, just figure out the steps to get to what it needed to look like. So, and that I think is where the fatigue sometimes comes in is it's so much harder to do that mental thinking. And the one thing that wasn't in your list is the anxiety then. Of, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, like so if you, particularly if you've got a reasonable self-awareness, so DCD can exist not, just like separate to other conditions. Actually, interestingly, it's not in the current diagnostic criteria, but historically you couldn't be given a diagnosis of DCD if you had a diagnosis of autism. So it ruled out DCD, whereas nowadays you can, they, they will diagnose the two together. And it's quite common, I would say, for DCD and ASD. I forget, I think it's 60, 70% kind of crossover. It's quite high. I'd need to double check. Oh, I'll put the link to Amanda Kirby's stuff in the in the notes for you because she's got a really nice visual of that. But linking it back to the fatigue, because if, if you can't do that planning, but you know that your teachers just said you've got to write <laughs> yeah. a story on this, or if the PE teachers just said, okay, good, great, guys, tomorrow we're doing archery, or if the drama teacher said you've got to go up, stand over there and pretend that, you know, you're <laughs> pretend you're feeling sick. And you don't have the capacity to plan or have an imagination of what that looks like. That can lead to that sort of anxiety, sort of as a as an outcome, which leads to fatigue. If we come back to that whole Lego, so if we think of, so write a story, any story you want mm-hmm. is just like a child looking at a big pile of Lego and going, "I have no idea what to do." It's exactly the same. The, yes. the Lego bit is so easy to see, and you get some kids are just going for it. And my daughter, one of them will build something in five pieces and go, I've built this. Yes. And it's almost like, I finished. I've done it in five pieces. I'm done. My other daughter, give her a couple of hours, she'll produce you. And it's that different approaches. But someone else will just sit there and go, I've got nothing. I've got no idea. I'm looking at this and I've got nothing. And when you ask someone to write a story, if they're literally just, they're, there's nothing going on. They're literally going, oh, my favourite thing is this. I should write about that. If they haven't got that first step in their head, they're going to look completely blank, yes. which then leads to, why is everyone else writing when I can't? And, yeah, the anxiety has to follow. Yeah, yeah. And then it, what, particularly when there's the ideation difficulty, it, kids can then get in trouble because they're not doing what they've been told to do. And the same with planning. Like, yeah, you've got a story and they might have a good idea that they want to have a, you know, an elf going to the castle or whatever, but then it's structuring that in a narrative form. And you, and this is where things like, uh, I always forget what you call them, but the outline sheets that teachers have got that kind of help structure work or yeah. even mind maps in terms of generating that idea, linking them together can be really helpful in terms of creating that structure children and also seeing examples of how other people have have used that structure to then create the narrative so because sometimes I find kids are just maybe given the mind map but we skip that point of showing them how to then use the mind map to coordinate their ideas into paragraphs yeah so it for, for 
for dyspraxic kids, it's it's showing that planning. That planning element actually is really key to show them and to just not assume, just not to assume that they'll get it. And one of the biggest things most people don't realize is that generalization is usually very poor as well. So the worst example I had of this was a child who couldn't. So generalization is the ability to take knowledge and experience from one situation and put it into the other. So I, the worst I've seen is a little boy who couldn't, he just stopped putting his jacket on one day. And I sort of said to the teacher, oh, what? You know, we'd work, because I know he could do it because we'd worked on it. And I was like, I don't know why he's not doing this. And I just thought I was, is something, what's different? What's changed? And she, I said, is it a different jacket? And she said, oh, yeah, it's a new jacket. And he, the season had changed. So mum had sent in his autumn jacket and he couldn't, he just couldn't Saw it take. Saw a different thing. Yeah, he couldn't take that knowledge of, oh, I could put on this jacket A. Jacket B is like 95% the same. I just, it's got slightly different clasps on it, but but he, he couldn't generalize that knowledge. And I think we we don't always think about that as well. And it's, and, and I was giving this example to someone the other day, thinking about it, like if, you know, if you played tennis, you'd expect that someone could play badminton. You'd expect they'd have most of the idea of badminton, but for kids with dyspraxia, they're not necessarily going to take that knowledge that they learned from skill A and automatically apply it to skill B. It, it, it's almost like starting from the beginning. And whilst they'll pick it up more quickly, sometimes you've got to take that step back of they're at 0% right now rather than assuming they're at 70% because they've done almost the same. Yeah, and it, 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 you have to yourself take that, take that time to do that. Mm. It's, you sit there going, it's just like tennis. It's, well, no, it's nothing like tennis. Look at the racket. Look at the shape. Look at what the, what's the net doing up there. This isn't even a ball. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? No, just none of this is the same. It's complete. And it's it's like, yes. But in the same way, you could probably say, well, tennis is quite like snooker. They both got balls in. Mm-hmm. It's 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 that level of we all have a certain level of error or acceptance in our analogies. So, oh yeah, tennis, it's like badminton. You're going, well, no. Paddleball, like tennis. Yes, different, slightly different. So yeah, a couple of, couple of tweaks, but very similar. Cool. But with some of these neurodiverse, that element of error or flexibility is, is quite literally nothing in some situations. It's You say it is this, and if it's saying it's like this, yeah. And I still remember a different thing. My nephew saying to my sister on the beach, can I go into the sea? She went, yeah. Went to get towel out and swimming trunks to get changed turned around and he was already in the sea in all his clothes. Yeah. Can I go in the sea? And she went, yes. What she meant was, yes, let's just get you changed. Come up here and we'll do that. Then you can go in. But she went with the word yes. And he went in, in his clothes. And my sister's going, why? Obviously she didn't react like that in the moment, but it is this literalism. This it is in, I think it's in a lot of the neurodiverse, isn't it? It's quite a common theme Yeah. across all of them. I suppose we're going back to that story writing and writing a story is you talk about the whole structure and the ideas and those, those sheets you can do, which is like who, where, when, what, mm. why, and, and helping that structure them begin in the middle and the end. And is, is almost like the complete opposite of, of that child who was writing a story and, and when they go, and then this happened and then this happened. And you're literally going on some really weird tangents because he keeps having new ideas he's yes. putting on the page. Yeah. 
this is a polar opposite. <laughs> well, in some ways, it depends on how well planned those ideas are as well, though, because it's because to have a good narrative story, you do need to organise those but ideas that, together. But it's that child who just have yeah. an idea and just putting it on the yeah. page, one after the other, and you're going. So we started off in a castle. We're now on the moon. Okay, it's that sort of. It's the opposite of that. Whereas that has just too many ideas and no structure. It sounds like we can have absolutely no ideas and no idea how to structure, and I need help on all of this, please. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of the triple, because I tend to think of dyspraxia as ideation, planning, and doing. So you could have difficulty with all three. You might just have difficulty with the planning and the doing. And, yeah, as an OT, I would argue it's not just the doing. There has to be an element of the planning or the ideation in there as well. Can I just say I love that word, idea- ideation. Ideation. Never heard of that. But again, using my knowledge, I can work out that's like an ideas. Yeah, just coming up with the idea. But again, if you just sit there and you hear a word that you can generally decode it, yeah, you can generally sit there and go, it's got, that's probably idea. It's probably the way of having ideas and that whole logic. And again, without knowing it, I was able to adapt my knowledge and do it. But if you, if you are so literal and you hear a word you haven't heard, mm. yeah, you may not be able to do that. So you may say some words which... I've just used that word, or I use this word, which is very similar, has a similar meaning. We should all get that. Some children won't. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be, may not be from dyspraxia. It could be because they've got a language disorder or other things like that. But yeah, we as adults need to check ourselves sometimes because we do use words or say things and the, something different happens to what we said, but that's not necessarily because the child's behavioral or being naughty or something. It's just because actually they've, yeah, I was talking to Dale earlier, like, and it did happen to me the other week. I was doing an assessment. I wanted the child to come and sit down on the chair, and I just said, "I'll oh, hop over here, sit down." And the child literally started hopping down the corridor, and it, it, it that was totally on me because yeah, he did exactly the child did exactly what I asked for, not necessarily what I thought they do, but it was definitely what Is I that, asked them to do. That old joke you see in films, walk this way, mm-hmm. and you get three people doing a silly walk down the corridor. Yeah. And you're going, ah, okay. It's, it's, it, it can literally, and you have that pull your socks up. There's a, I think there's a whole book of things not to say to an autistic person. Chin up. Yeah. You just, all it is, it can be, and it is, they are literally hearing the words, decoding the words, reacting to the words Mm -hmm. there's a second bit of what probably does this mean is completely missed Mm -hmm. but this trouble learning is this all down to that ideation that learning new skills because you said about that the um if it's doing a sport and seeing something new Mm. is it before you can do it physically you've got to best see understand it in your head so it some kids have great ideation but difficulty with the planning so the Planning is almost seeing the steps of it in your head and understanding even the order. Like you know, everything, to be successful with most stuff, you have to do it in the right order. You know, if you want to make a cup of tea, you have to put the, you have to boil the water first rather than put the water in cold. And if you yeah. don't do that process correctly, you know, you have to open, <laughs> this is a very core OT skill, but you, in, in university, one of our, task was like tea and toast and you'd you'd assess someone's ability to make a cup of tea and make a toast because it's got all elements of planning and organization in it and I distinctly remember one lady we're in the hospital so all the all the sugar was in sachets and she just put the whole sachet into the cup without opening it up and 
and then put the water in and like that was her making her cup of tea and it's that it's that element she knew she had the idea of making tea so it, she had no issue with ideation she knew what I meant she had the cup she had the tea she had the hot water but her breakdown was the planning and hers was because she'd had a stroke but the breakdown there was the planning the steps and you see that with kids you know you see that with kids all the the time maybe they go to put the trousers on before they put their underpants on or they go to put the shoe on before they put their sock on or, you know it, it gets more sort of complicated than that but they're just sort of very basic examples in terms of planning i suppose it's like my daughter getting dressed in a shorts and t-shirt and coming down and you go you do know we're going out in the snow now well and that and that's <laughs> that a, that's planning for on. yeah for kind of planning for the action that that, and, and linking all those two things together of, oh, we're going skiing or we're going out into the snow. I need to be dressing to go out into the snow. So one is the dressing. The next yeah. bit is dressing for a purpose, yeah. a reason. Executive function in yes. terms of making that, those connections between it's snowing outside, I'm about to go out into that, therefore I need to be dressed in a way that will make me not freeze. So when we talk about thing like that, I've got organisation planning thing, mm. is that something that they will, you know, just teach them a few more times, they'll get it? Or is it more a case of they're always going to be struggling with this, give them some strategies to help them, mm. and they will embed them, which will kind yeah. of, is it, that sec- is it that latter? I would definitely, so typically it's when you get to new tasks. So once you've practised and got that activity, typically that holds. So typically that skill is then there and you, you've got it. But when things change, so it might it might even be that you know, you you get new cupboards in the you know say your child's got a bedroom, <laughs> you get them new cupboards. They used to be fine at putting their stuff away, but suddenly they're not putting their stuff away. Well, you've changed the cupboards, so it's it's reteaching almost that planning element of where things are and what that's going to look like. And you'd see the same in school, particularly at the start of the school year when children change classrooms for the first time it's understanding where the glue sticks go because you know it's not in my experience of being in classrooms is they are all different so you know and and part of that is just the shape of the room because not you know schools aren't built (laughs) with sort of exactly the same classrooms and you know a reception class is set up very differently to a year six class because that's just the nature of how the classroom runs. So it's it's that kind of when I come into new situations, what are the kind of rules? How do I have to plan and organ, organise myself in those new spaces? And I also think one of, one of the most helpful things I think I can teach a dyspraxic child is to ask for help or to – and also to say I don't understand – because quite often as adults, if the child doesn't get it, we'll just repeat the instruction again. Yeah. So, so like they've not started, so you repeat the same instruction again. And if then the, you might say it slower, and then you might say it louder. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> and, and and it's not it, it's not necessarily that the child hasn't heard the instruction. It's that the child genuinely doesn't understand how to plan the next step of the instruction. So I have always found for the kids I've worked with, if I can teach them to say, "I'm sorry, I don't understand." or can you help me get started, it's it's a really functional, helpful strategy for them to get that next piece of the planning done for them. So it's not that they're being naughty or that they're not listening or they haven't heard. It's just genuinely that next, that they can't figure out 
that next step. So that that's kind of a, a helpful tip in, in the classroom or even at home. And for some of the, I do find for some of the executive function stuff, it, it is more around putting in place strategies to help. So yeah, reminders on phones or, you know, even even yourself, there's maybe too much information to share, but like you've got lunch sorted. Oh, Dale yes. has, <laughs> Dale literally has his lunch supply sorted in the form of hot noodles that you just add water into, and they're and they're in they are in the drawer ready to go. And that that is a strategy that you've done a bit of you've done essentially high level planning that takes away the daily little bit of planning and remembering. So it's a it's a bigger level strategy to support executive function just- essentially. What I've learned is I often completely forget things, which if you buy lunch late, it's generally going to be more expensive, isn't it? Mm. If you're going to go get a meal deal, it's, you're going to spend yeah. three, four pounds a day. So I, 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 I'm rubbish. But but you've got a really good strategy. So I use Amazon subscribe and save and I get my lunches delivered every month. Yeah, and but that's a higher level strategy that that supports that underlying executive function and planning. So which is amazing. Like it, it's, it's some of you might think this sounds really weird, but it's one of the things I, I'm not sitting there getting worried about what I'm going to have for lunch, but it does. You sit there and go, Oh, I haven't got lunch or it is a certain level. It occupies part of your brain. And I have completely removed having to worry about it because every month my next batch arrives and life is much simpler. And, and I, I learned this from somebody runs his own company. He's a very health conscious. So he has all his meals planned out by his diet. But his, he'd come home and his wife always cooked the wrong meal, which she never listened, blah, blah, blah. That was his words, not mine. So what he did, he contacted his company who made the meals according yep. to his diet plan and they would arrive, yep. which to me is very over the top. But I sat there and went, oh, there's a lot of logic there that you've removed the arguments, you've removed lots of issues, you yeah. know that when you get home it's going to be the right meal. And I'm looking, there's a lot in here. Yeah. So you will, you will definitely find very, very, very functional dyspraxic people that have figured out support strategies for themselves that they've just embedded over time that mean that they don't forget stuff because they've got you. I love the, um, I know it's a horrible waste of plastic, but I love the pack of 10 pens that have got a slot for each pen. I just don't lose them because I know that I look at that, those multicolor things, those yeah, big yeah. jumbo multicolor yeah. pens. Yeah, and 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 my my whiteboard markers actually. I had a set of four whiteboard markers that came in a in a plastic packet, and since I've had them, I've not lost a whiteboard marker because I check. Because you always put it back in its place, and I check before I leave that I've got four. Whereas normally I'd just walk out and like get to my next school and not have my whiteboard marker. I, I, I do always think that's a sign of getting older because. <laughs> You do have, when you're young, you just have a bag and you throw it in and you can never find anything. It's not even in the bag in the first place because you didn't put it in the bag. You just shoved it on somewhere. Mm. And I have my bag and it's generally organized. I can tell you what's where. And it is. Now I do that. I I forget less. So it is. We find our own strategies. Mm. Generally is finding something which puts four in. So if I look and there's four, life is good. Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the things I find with my daughters and it is it's all around executive function which does fit in here is we're on the holidays yeah we're going on holiday tomorrow as a family so we've got a pack and I said to my daughter yesterday right so what are you doing knowing there's a list of three or four things she's got to do by tonight she went oh, I don't know so what are you doing today she went I don't know so that what she kind of meant was I'm having a lazy day yes 
but the fact is I don't know. I was like, right, well, you've got to do this, 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 and this by tomorrow evening. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and went, it's like, I know you don't like it, but you kind of gone, you can do nothing as long as you've accounted for this. I don't have a problem with you having a lazy bum sitting in your pajamas mm-hmm. day. Yeah, fine. As long as you've gone, yeah, and tomorrow I'm going to go do this, this, this. As long as you're, but the fact she kind of had completely forgotten about that. It is. And, and the that's where of, it fell apart. The step back from that is we're going on holidays tomorrow. What do you need to do is kind of the step back, which would facilitate ideally her because she's, I know your daughters we, are a bit older, so I know they've been on holidays before. So I know that they should in theory know the yeah. steps to going on holidays. So don't do this with like a four-year-old, but I know your kids are older. So I know that you in theory could say to them, the prompt would be, we're going They've on holidays asked, tomorrow. She's asked for her suitcase. Her suitcase yeah. is there and it's not been touched. She knows what she's got to do, but yeah. she's just being a teenager. Yeah. And it is, it is just that not realizing days and times and things like that, losing track of it. And that's, I'm not having a go. I'm not telling her. I'm basically saying, so you've got to stay in tomorrow and you've got these three things to do. And then I kind of leave it at that because she can then deal with the rest. Yeah. I'm not saying you do this then, you do this then. or No, she can figure that out. I would just go, you've got this much time in these three things. And sure enough, she got two of the things done yesterday. Good. Hasn't started packing yet. We'll get there. <laughs> but that, that executive function, the level you need at secondary school mm-hmm. isn't really taught. It's assumed. It's assumed that somehow over that sub six week holiday between year six (laughs) and year seven, they will go from parent led to completely independent perfectly. Yeah, it it well, that's not true. There are some schools. I have definitely worked in some primary schools that operate more of a secondary school model. Not a lot, but there are a few out there. So I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent not taught, but on the whole yeah, there there is this magical fairy that visits year sixes before they start year seven, or you know, depending on the um, country, it's slightly different age groups. But and I think there's so much focus on the curriculum these days that there is less time when you get into secondary school for some of that induction type yeah. stuff and just the supporting with the logistics but definitely if you know your child's dyspraxic and they're going into secondary or if the senko is sending dyspraxic kids into secondary it's there is definitely a piece around flagging up that there might need some additional support in that first half term and then I also think it's really helpful in subjects like science and art and PE where things they can be really, really different. And each week can be, you know, particularly in science, there's, you know, learning how to use a Bunsen burner and learning how, like there's certain skills that actually you need to practice a bit. So it may be that that student comes in at lunchtime and, the, you know, the week before you're using the Bunsen burner, yeah. you bring them in at lunchtime and just show them the steps. So they've had that kind of pre-teaching. And I do find that's sometimes helpful for PE as well, like almost making the parents aware that, you know, next term, because usually you've got the PE schedule, so you know that swimming's in this term and basketball's in this term and football's in this term. My daughter's school doesn't have that. It's literally, what did you PE this week? She's like, oh, we did this this week. And it is week by week it can change. And I'm just imagining that, cool, I've learned how to use a rounders bat. Oh, we're not doing that next week. That 
that that's tricky. But yeah, so the, the, the pre-teaching can sometimes be a real help because it, it helps with confidence and it also decreases anxiety. And that 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 is a really big gift to a dyspraxic child or adult is improving their confidence, giving them that bit more time and decreasing sort of the anxiety around it. And so just even little things like don't make them go first. <laughs> like if it's something new, Let if it's a completely new skill, don't make them go first. Because that's really not fair. And if it's something new, doing an extra visual demonstration alongside the verbal demonstration, don't just assuming that the verbal will be enough, particularly if there's any language processing difficulties there, just giving a verbal instruction might not be enough. So yeah, there's just some really simple things that can be done in education and at home and in extracurricular activities to just sort of support that. So if there's a line of 10 children mm-hmm. in rounders, yes. what position would you put the dyspraxic person in? Because this is the thing. I'm literally in the whole thing going, well, if you put them too far back, they won't pay attention. But if you put them yeah. second, they'll still be going, okay, so they did it that way. But then if you go maybe four or five, you're going, well, they've already done it differently. So now I'm really confused. <laughs> <laughs> the piece with rounders is it's just the understanding that you have to stand there, you have to hit the ball and you have to run. Yeah. Try and keep running around. The question is, um, if I don't hit the ball, and so yeah. you want someone else to do that thing where they just take a walk or whatever it's called. Yeah. It is, and it's really confusing. So if you do have a kid that's standing there with a very puzzled, I mean, to be fair, this was me as an adult the first time I play rounders because it, it's not something that exists in Australia. And I found it highly crazy that if you, you could only get a round on a home run and you still had to run around anyway, but you didn't get a point if you didn't hit a home run. So I was yeah. just, it didn't make any sense to me. But it, yeah, if the child is there with a puzzled look, kind of giving that extra explanation and information around what sort of, what the rules are. I'm now trying to remember the rules around us and why you do, <laughs> but, but yeah, is that thing, because you, you, is that whole, what am I supposed to do? What's everyone else doing? There's a lot of anxiety. Mm. And it is so many things always come back to this anxiety, and it is it, it then stops everything. Once you have that anxiety going off, anything you could do is just gone. gone now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I was just looking on the website I had up, which is an American one, but I'm hoping this is true for British people as well. Dyspraxia has nothing to do with intelligence. I like that. That, that actually is a diagnostic criteria for DCD that it can't be explained by forget the exact wording but yeah it's it definitely the the intelligence piece did nothing to do with intelligence so i like that if you have dyspraxia you may be stronger in areas such as creativity motivation and determination mm-hmm. each person's symptoms are different yeah and that's the thing is i think with all these neurodiverse you lose that in these areas but you can often gain in others mm. it's just maybe not in schools do creativity, motion, motion, motivation, determination are really allowed? I think determination is something when you get stuck into something. And motivation is when I always see those as project based. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in schools anymore, it seems. It, I mean, I think that can really depend on the child because I know some children are really determined to, to you know, they've got really good growth mindsets and they're determined to just get on with it but I would say they're the minority and that often unfortunately the other challenge with the current national curriculum is that it's not developmentally appropriate either so 
for reception children, the targets they're meant to meet are actually beyond their developmental age expectations. So it it can be very demotivating because they're essentially failing before they've started, but they're starting, they're trying to meet something that is developmentally outside their ability anyway. So it is very much putting those supports in place to foster motivation and confidence for those guys because otherwise it's just school can be school I, can be tricky because you know, creativity is is ideas is myself going that's an interesting one that you're talking about the ideation and that but creativity is in i'm going that's a bit odd but motivation and determination is yeah i can imagine part of that could be anxiety driven because i don't want to be the yeah. one who can't do this. I need to be able to do this. I want, I need to fit in. So sometimes you have this and you develop some insane motivation yeah. and, and determination. And because it, I think sometimes because it is that bit harder to do the planning and to sort of be successful with it, you, you, you have to be quite determined to keep plodding along with it. And yeah, the, I mean, the ideation isn't everyone. The ideation sort of some people. Yeah. So which is where the creativity and some kids have got, great planning but terrible ideation others have got great ideation and terrible planning and I remember one I I used to in one of the bases I used to work in one of the boys couldn't plan to save his life but had amazing ideas and one of the other boys had zero ideas but fab planning and the two of them playing together was really quite cool because they they essentially complimented each other and like one would be like we should build we should build this and the other and then he'd sort of stop and the other guy would be like yeah, yeah, awesome, and and start building. And then the second kid, the first kid, did sort of start following along with the plan that the second kid had made. But the second kid, without the first, was just like. But what? That's the thing is. So in GCSE worlds, they're both probably going to struggle, maybe. Yeah. But in the business world, if they are business partners and doing something, they could really fly. Yeah. And also, it's great that you've got that one person having ideas, and the planning person might go, "No, we can't." Because I'm going to say, oh, yeah. Okay, let's do this then. Brilliant. Off we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, it, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, we can't. We've got no bricks. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. What have we got? Okay. Pink, pink something. Uh, yeah, cool. And that's the thing I can imagine, but that's the thing. It is, again, I've mentioned before, secondary school is about conforming and going through the subjects that the government have decided are important, reading the right books according to the government and whoever's in charge, making sure we do all those, tick all those boxes to ready for us for the world which generally doesn't need any of that in reality, but it makes us all happy. I think there should be lots more project-based stuff in schools. I think that that is a great way because you run your business, don't you? I do. And I, I mean, I, there, there is an ongoing dialogue, I think, happening around, yeah, what, what, what do you, what do students need when they leave school? And it, particularly working in SEN, it it really saddens me that these kids are put through some of the curricular based stuff that they are like, and I, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I, I worked with a student a couple of years ago who he couldn't do functional skills math until he'd failed yep. GCSE. That's, that's a pretty new thing, I think. So my understanding is, and it could be wrong, but lots of things I've read have said that it's more beneficial for a school, yeah. for a child. If a child could sit at GCSE, even if they they need to do that, that is a better route for the school 
mm. their progress eight scores and so mm. on than if they did functional maths. Yeah, and I just I, – I don't really understand why we're putting those kids through failure before we allow them to be it successful. Because it looks better for the school. It's yeah, quite so, simple, quite uh, yeah, clear. I, it's about the school, not the child. Okay. You, get, you <laughs> get past this. It's just it's stupid. There's these qualifications out there from various people which the children could do, which would prepare them for life. Mm. It would help them maybe get a job. It would be realistic. It would be suitable. It would be applicable. Great. No, no. No, no, we still need him to fail at French GCSE. Now, yeah. if they love French and they enjoy it and there's reasons, great. But we've got, to me, you should be realistic. And it's one thing that I, yeah, it, no. It, yeah, I, like, I would, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely more frustrated at it. But then I, I share your frustration in terms of that, yeah, there's some fantastic um, BTECs. So just all of that type of stuff seems to have been taken out of the education system here it's, it's all got different names to what i'm used to well, but... i've got a thing called t level which i completely mm. forgot about they've come in and a levels and gmbqs mm. and all this stuff which is great but this gcse there's just now since the new one to nine gc there's just gcse and mm. nothing else because that's what's best and it's like for some for some that's what best and not even all um people who can achieve them that's the best option mm. it's just decided the reason I was going about you running your own company is obviously as you run your own company, you structure your day like you did maybe an hour of English, then you do an hour of maths, then an hour of history of your business, an hour of geography <laughs> where your business is. No. I can assure you my um, my day-to-day does not look anything like. You even... generally bring it all together and yeah. that, and you have skills, which might not be – that's the thing. You have executive function skills you're using. You're having this you're using. Yeah. And that's what people need for life. And – Yes, there are going to be some things you do in subjects which are useful and some things, but I still believe most of the things we've got in the syllabus are just because that's the way it's always been and it's an easy way of judging people and that's as the reasons it's in, not yeah, any I, other reason. There are definitely limitations within the existing systems, particularly for SEND, and there's not a good – there isn't a nice – option i mean i actually personally think for some kids doing the functional skills gcse and then maybe doing the actual gcse the next year it could be a, a nice option because i just but i just i what i hate is setting kids up to fail like i just i the thing that really frustrates me is setting kids up to fail with the knowledge that they're going to fail and the knowledge that there's another option that they could succeed at yeah. So that that's kind of where I start as a particular the therapist, I, just yes. going like this would never be how I would structure my therapy support plan, <laughs> like like ever. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there's a whole the whole secondary from my, my world of SEN and watch my daughters go through secondary school. There are just things I just don't understand. So when you see your child report and it's, my daughter's got these green for good and blue for exceptional in attainment and effort or their um, think qualities of the le- qualities of learning or something. So you do this, great, lovely. And then you walk past someone else who, and you, my daughter is doing well, and this we knew this child wasn't. You saw it all right. She had more blue. I was like, what's the, what set she's in? It's like, oh, she's in set four. What set you in one? It's like, it's that whole thing of, this child was doing really well for her. Yeah. Great. My problem was not that my child's doing better and I want to see that or what. What I never got from my school for either of my daughters is, is my daughter doing well for her future life? Yeah. 
Yeah. So when I see the more, it's like, yeah, she's doing well for her, but I don't know if that means she's going to be a neurobiologist or a bin man. Yeah. I'd like some indication of where this is heading. Where is this heading? Do we need to sit there and go, Oh, you need some support where it was just this report gave me nothing for that. And I, I worry that for some children where they might fail their GCSEs, they might get a report of greens, but they got some blues on there because they'd done well for them. You go, oh, everything's going well. Oh, they failed all their GCSEs. You're going, well, some warning would have been nice. But that's the thing. I, I, I kind of, it's nice motivationally, but I'd like a, some sort of bit of reality. In the assessments. In there to sort of go, yeah. you know what? They're going to get all the current track, going to get all their GCSEs. Current track, they're not. Okay. Okay, what, well, what, what she we wants do? to be, she needs to. So actually, we, what, okay, I need to talk to my daughter. I need to get whatever, something. But I just found that that was completely missing. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of other reports from other parents, people in B squared, and they didn't make much sense either yeah, as a parent. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I am not a parent and I have limited experience in secondary schools, so I haven't had the joy of reading secondary school reports. So One of the things I think for schools it might make sense to you for someone who knows the data and knows the people and understands it all. Mm. But you really almost got to ask someone completely unrelated and go, what does this tell you? Because mm. what it means to parents who aren't in education and what it means to someone who works it can be very different. So a complete segue that was, That wasn't was a it? big segue. Big segue. I'm, I'm like, Dale's definitely going to bring this back to dyspraxia. I'm sure somehow, he will. <laughs> somehow, my organisation skills aren't great. I wasn't planning to do that. That's right. You can get the editors to edit that bit out if, if it's dragging. You get all of this. You get all of this. So I'm going to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to talk about with dyspraxia? No, I just, the main things are just have it in the back of your mind if you're seeing a child that's struggling with planning Getting If they're struggling to get started, yeah, with yep. what they're doing or what you've asked them to do or if they're playing quite repetitively or like in younger like in reception and that, if they're playing quite repetitively or if they've got a load of ideas but then don't get on with their ideas is just have that piece because they can look quite a d- attention deficit. Like I've I've seen kids that, they look like they've got inattention, but actually they can't plan. So they do like three seconds at each table, but can't, like they want to do it, but they can't figure it out. There's, so, a, there's a great phrase when you talk about lots of ideas, but not it's on paper is, there's a phrase you see in quite a few parents' reports of mm. lots of lovely ideas. We'd like to see that in his written work now. Uh, yeah. It, literally, and, I hear it, you said that, uh, I was like, that phrase just jumped straight into my head. Because you, you, some parents get that a lot. Yeah, and we will... We're going to record handwriting next. So we'll talk about that specific piece in the next podcast. So yes. shout out for the next podcast. But yeah, so those those kind of bits. If, if if the child's just not getting on with stuff, but particularly, and I like that you brought up the sort of you know, intelligence, like there's not that sort of decrease in intelligence. If you, you're seeing that, think about the planning and really, A, give them a bit more help to start with the planning, show them what to do and teach them to ask for help and to say that they don't understand what you've asked so that they've got that proactive strategy of getting getting help and give it to them in a different way. Show them or explain it in a different way if the second time you explain it, they still don't get it. Yeah, so don't just think of this branch as that clumsy child or whatever. It's, it's, it's often you do, you're Inspector Cluedo, you are literally going, aha, he's doing that and that. Ooh they could be linked it's it's that sort of thing it isn't one thing 
it's multiple things and it, it can have a much bigger impact. So thank you for coming on the show today. Hopefully I'll get some links from Kim and we'll put those in the show notes and I'll also be sharing Kim's contact details. So you'll find the show notes on our website or wherever you are listening to this podcast. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please click on that subscribe button wherever you are listening. You can follow us on all of the social medias. On Twitter, we're at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what's available, come and have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. And if you are a school in England, still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, please get in contact. You can find out about our online training and conferences. You can read our blog. You can watch our webinars. It is all on the B-Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes as well. And you can also drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And me, Kim. Bye. Bye.